Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. of things in this that, that man comes to mind and I won't spend a lot of time on this one of the things that all I always remember every time I read this whenever I try to do something in my own strength and in my own abilities in my own talents in my own giftedness you know what it usually goes flat line it usually goes flat line but it's when the Lord calls and when the Lord instructs and when the Lord directs, and I'm faithful to follow in what He says, then I see results. Where do you draw your strength from? What about wisdom? Are you relying on your own willpower and understanding? As Pastor David encourages us in today's message, when Jesus tells us to cast our nets on the other side of the boat, we can trust that He has the power to fill those nets. He is the creator of the universe, and He is all-knowing. Even when it makes no sense by our human understanding, He is a wise and caring Savior, and we can trust in Him. Now here's Pastor David with today's message entitled, And So It Begins. of Jesus and in his feet and the spear from his side the only thing man made in heaven it's a constant reminder it's a constant reminder not not that we would get bummed out and frustrated oh man we did this to the Lord no it's a constant reminder of the grace and the mercy of God but it's also a constant reminder that 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 we can't do this on our own efforts we can't uh, obtain salvation of our own initiative. It had to be gained through the cross in order that we might have access to the very throne room of God. It was through the faithful and the loving sacrifice of Christ on our behalf that we now have access to the throne room of God. He goes on with physical proof of his resurrected body. Look at verse 40. And when Jesus had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food here? And so they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate in their presence. You've probably heard the saying, if it's too good to be true, it probably, what, isn't. Okay. I believe that's what's going on with these guys. And they're, they're seeing Jesus standing there. Said, no way, this is like way too good to be true. Not only is he risen from the dead, but now he's standing here in our midst. And they're, they're just not connected. They're just blown away by this. At this point in time, it's not because of the doubt. I mean, he's showing that it's becoming very real to them. But I believe that they're absolutely overwhelmed. And so once again, 
And, oh, and I love it, the point too. He said, "Give me something to eat." Yeah, you know. So they gave him broiled fish and some honeycomb. I, I don't know if Jesus was really hungry or not, or if he just said, "Look, I'm not a spirit. I'm not a ghost. I'm eating the fish. I'm, I'm, I'm eating the honeycomb. I'm, I'm, I'm alive. I'm standing before you." And he goes on to explain to them through the scriptures. Look what verse 44 tells us. And he said to them. These are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. I believe that during this conversation, as Jesus once again gives this Bible study, whether it's the same one he gave to the guys at Emmaus, or if he's man just compounding scripture upon scripture, again, the truth, not only that the Messiah was coming, but that he would suffer, that he would die, that he would rise again as he's giving these scriptures to them, as he's going through that study with them, and these guys are becoming more and more aware of what's going on. It was sometime after that that we know that the guys finally made it to Galilee. You remember what the angels told the women there at the tomb that morning. They said, tell my disciples to go forward up to Galilee because that's where I'm going to meet them. Well, right now they're still in Jerusalem. But one of the things that we do know that, man, Jesus was around for 40 days after his resurrection. Somewhere in that time frame that Luke actually just kind of fast forwards through that entire 40 days, Jesus in his post-resurrection time, he has appearances to many people. He, does, he continues to do ministry. We find in, in the book of Acts that 40 days in his continued ministry. But Luke attests to the fact that Jesus was there for 40 more days after the resurrection, and he spent that time teaching the disciples, interacting with them off and on, showing them, in fact, that he had raised from the dead. And as the book of Acts, as Luke writes to us in the book of Acts chapter 1, he gave many infallible proofs, and he was seen by them for 40 days. I believe that's during probably the early portion of these 40 days when the guys finally do make it up to Galilee, along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. John writes about this in his gospel record. Uh, you're probably right next to John right now if you're in Luke 24. Flip on over to John chapter 21, if you would. Here in John chapter 21, we read of Jesus appearing to the men after they had fished all night long. They caught absolutely nothing. And it was only after Jesus called out to them from the shore, told them to drop the net on the right side, and then when they did, they weren't able to draw it in because of the huge amount of the multitude of fish. Well, what had taken place here? During those 40 days, Jesus was not with the disciples all the time. They were kind of left on their own, off and on. We don't know the entire uh, chronology of, of all of the things, how everything 
came into play. But we do know at one point in time, Peter with the disciples, they're up in Galilee, and he says, you know what, guys? I don't know what to do. I'm going to go fishing. And so the other guy said, well, we don't know what to do either. We're going to go fishing with you. So all the guys went out fishing. And they struggled all night to fish. And they caught absolutely zero. Zip, zilch, nada. They fished all night, caught nothing. And as they were coming in, uh, a, a single individual on the shoreline yells out, children, have you caught anything? No. Well, throw your nets on the right side. So they did. And as soon as it happened, as soon as their nets were filled with fish, Peter understood, that's the Lord. That's the Lord there. And he plunged into the sea, and he swam to the shore. They weren't that far, but he went ahead and swam ahead. He was so excited to see Jesus. And when they got to the shoreline there, Jesus already had a fire going. He said, hey, bring some of the fish that you caught. They had breakfast together. A couple of things in this that, that man comes to mind, and I won't spend a lot of time on this. One of the things that all, I always remember every time I read this, whenever I try to do something in my own strength and in my own abilities, in my own talents, in my own giftedness, you know what? It usually goes flatline. It usually goes flatline. But it's when the Lord calls and when the Lord instructs and when the Lord directs and I'm faithful to follow in what he says, then I see results. And sometimes, man, it's, it's the overwhelming results like these guys with the net here. We don't know. Man, we see God working in such a way. Why in the world would we ever try to do things in our own strength? Why would we try to do something in our own abilities? Why would we try to step out, not under God's direction, but under our own direction? Say, I think I can handle this when we see it over and over and over, and we could probably go around the room with the, the, the testimony of, of each individual that says, oh yeah, yeah, in my life I've, I've tried doing this and that, man, that fell and that failed and this, this crashed and burned. And, oh, I tried doing this and boy, that was an absolute catastrophe. We know why, because we've seen the experience of others, we've read in the word, we've had the experience ourselves that when we try to do it in our own strength and our own might, avails nothing. And the significance of that event, even if in this world it becomes a success, eternally there's no value. Even those things that we think, man, this really worked out great. But if it wasn't God-directed, if it wasn't God-inspired, if it wasn't God-empowered for eternity, it avails nothing. As they catch the fish. John tells us this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. We read in the other gospel reports, first that one night uh, there in the upper room, and then a few days later, I think it was like eight days later, then Thomas is with the group. The Lord appears again. And now they're up in Galilee. So it's been quite a span of time. Third time that he's shown uh, himself to his disciples. Well, after they, they had breakfast there, Jesus had a little personal time with Peter, a little one-on-one. -on -one. I, I don't know if maybe they were still sitting around the fire and Jesus kind of leaned into Peter or 
I don't know, maybe the, the boldness was, maybe Peter was sitting across the fire and, and the, this conversation goes on. But I believe it was a little bit more intimate than that. I believe that Jesus was dealing with Peter one-on-one -on -one at this point in time. It's here where Jesus is going to bring Peter back to that full understanding of the inabilities of the flesh. The inabilities of the flesh to do and obey the directions of the Lord. Peter had to be fully aware of his complete dependence upon Christ because God was going to use Peter very powerfully. He desired to use him mightily within the kingdom. And if Peter continued on in his own flesh, it's going to crash and burn. Remember, it was Peter that says, hey, if everybody else fails you, I'll stand with you, Lord. And he's got his sword. Remember, it was Peter there in the garden as they came to arrest Jesus. Peter draws out the sword and takes off Malchus's ear. Remember, it's Peter that's always boasting. Now let's look what's going to happen here. We're in John 21, beginning down in verse 15. Jesus speaking to Peter. Verse 15, Simon, son of Jonah. Do you love me more than these? And Peter responded to the Lord, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Then feed my lambs. First thing we need to settle here is, what does more than these mean? What is the these that Jesus is speaking of? It's an interesting word in, in the Greek, it's Teuton, and the, the, the word is actually both neuter and masculine, and it could be, Either one, there's no real firm status of, again, uh, the, the gender of it. And so it gives us kind of an ambiguity in, in the direction of what it means. Could Jesus have been speaking to Peter and say, Peter, look out at these boats. Look out at these nets. Look out at these fish. Remember your business before you came and followed me. Peter, do you love me more than these? Or he could have been speaking in a masculine gender. He could have been speaking, Peter, all these guys that are around us here, do you love me more than these? Or maybe because of the word that was chosen, Jesus meant all of it. Peter, do you love me more than anything else in the world? More than anything else that could be given. Do you love me more than these? We need to understand in our walk with the Lord, our life and our commitment to him. Is there anything or is there anyone in our life that comes between us and our love for the Lord? Is there anyone or anything that we love more than the Lord? As Jesus asked his question, he also used the, the term for love, agapeo. And agapeo has that meaning of an absolute self-sacrificial, nothing in return. I'm just loving with all of my heart. And that's what Jesus asked Peter. Peter, do you have a self-sacrificing, fully committed, full-on love for me? And it's interesting when Peter responds in the English we read, oh yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But Peter uses a different word for love than Jesus does. G, or Peter uses the Greek word phileo, and phileo has that meaning of brotherly love. We get the, um, the Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, from that very idea, that very Greek word. It has an entirely different meaning than agapeo. 
much less of a commitment. And it's very rarely a sacrifice. Peter, do you love me in that deep sacrificial type of love? Oh, yes, Lord, you know that I love you like a brother. Totally different response to the question that was asked. Jesus told him, then go and feed my lambs. And then he asked him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agapeo me? Do you love me? A second time, without skipping a beat, Peter's response remains the same. Yes, Lord, you know that I have great brotherly love for you. I have great care and compassion, an emotional draw that, that is attached to you. Now comes the third time. Well, Jesus tells him to tend his sheep, but then when he comes the third time, he comes to him and says, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said to the Lord, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Here in verse 17 is where a great change takes place. Jesus now questioning Peter the third time. Some believe that he asked Peter three times because Peter denied him three times. And I can well understand that. I could see that and I could comprehend that. He had denied him three times. Now you've got to make confession that you love me three times. But I believe that there's much going on here than meets the eye, or at least our English-speaking eye. And I know we don't speak with our eyes, but you know what I'm talking about. The English, we, we don't see it here at all. There's so much that's going on. The whole interchange pretty much is tantamount to a conversation between a man and a woman who's been seeing each other for a while, and the woman wants the man to define the relationship. Okay? You know what I mean by that, right? Okay. The woman asks the man, honey, do you love me? And the man says, oh, listen, I like you a lot. How's that going to run with you, ladies? You know you got a problem right there, don't you? End of conversation, maybe. The woman asks again. She says, no, no, what I'm asking is, is, do you love me? Oh, sure, baby. I really like you. You're, you're, you're like a sister to me. If she doesn't walk out the door at that point in time, she would turn around and say, Really? Do you even care for me like a sister? The man responds back. I guess you figured it out. But I really do care for you like a sister. You see, that's what's going on right here. Because when Jesus asked Peter the third time, Peter, do you love me? Jesus backed off the word agapeo. And he uses the same word Peter has been saying. Phileo. Do you even love me like a brother? Do you really have that kind of an attachment? That, are, are, you, are you committed even that much, Peter? It says that Peter was grieved because he asked him the third time, do you love me? It's not because he asked him three times. It's because Jesus changed the word up. He's not asking him, do you agape me? No, now he's asking, do you phileo? Do you have that love of a brother? He changed it up, and now Peter, again, he's brought to that point of saying, Lord, you know all things. You know 
that I do at least love you that much. So what's going on here? I think Peter actually responded in the right way. I think Peter here is responding actually with no bragging. There's no boasting. No better than everybody else at this point in time. Oh, these guys might love you like a brother, but Lord, I agape you. I love you with that. No, that no, Peter is backed down multiple notches here. Lord, you above all people know my heart for you. You know that I love you. And I know that it's not where it ought to be. But you see, it's at that point now that God can really use Peter. Because he's able to receive correction. He's able to receive guidance because he's taken himself off the pedestal. And beloved, that's when you and I really and truly become useful in God's kingdom. Through brokenness, Peter is now in that condition. So let's flip over real quick back to Luke 24. I won't finish this, but Luke 24. As we shared last week, as the men of Emmaus, on, on the way to Emmaus, they got the teaching of the word and then they got the presence of Jesus and how powerful that was. But you need to understand that the word, studying the word of God without the presence of Jesus is still lifeless. And Jesus, without knowing the word and being students of the word, then we don't have clarity, we don't have directions, and we don't have boundaries. It's when we have both the word and the presence of Jesus within our lives that we truly have truth and life within our lives. I feel that sometime after that conversation on the shores there of Galilee, Jesus and the disciples went back to Jerusalem. And as Jesus shared with them again in the upper room, he knew that as he went to be with the Father, the disciples are going to need something more. They needed the comforter. They needed the power of the Holy Spirit to come upon them. We're back in Luke 24. Look what Jesus says down in verse 49. He says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on high. And as Luke writes down in this gospel account, this is actually where he picks up the whole story and the whole event in the first chapter of the book of Acts. In Acts, he tells us that Jesus declared to the disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Well, here in Luke, as he's finishing up this portion, down in verse 50, it says, he then led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands, and he blessed them. Now it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Once they understood, once they knew, once they realized that Christ was risen from the dead, they were filled with great joy.
hope that today's edition of The Open Word has been a blessing to you. If you live in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, we want to invite you to join us for worship. The messages that you hear on The Open Word are produced from worship services at Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. Maybe the teaching you heard today is exactly what you're looking for in a church. Then please join us. We meet Saturday evenings and twice on Sunday morning, as well as throughout the week. For more information about when we meet for worship, including driving directions, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Now here's Tracy with some more important information about how you can help support The Open Word. Radio programs like The Open Word are wonderful tools that God uses to advance His kingdom here on earth. And as with any ministry, there are expenses involved. Today's broadcast was professionally produced and God has given us a vision to see The Open Word expand into other parts of the world. Would you prayerfully consider financially supporting The Open Word? Log on to TheOpenWord.com and simply click on the support option to help us continue to grow. Thanks, Tracy. From all of us here with the production team, we want to say thank you for tuning in and may God richly bless you.